Well, this morning we are continuing to work our way through a study of first through third John, the letters uh, that John wrote. We're going to be here for the next uh, months. And this morning we're going to look at uh, 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. So go ahead and turn there. And as, as we open the text together, I want, to, um, I want to let you know just honestly, this, this series and preaching 1 John uh, was, was difficult for me to decide on. Uh, and, and don't get me wrong on that. It's not that I don't love 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. They're wonderful letters. But as a, as a preacher and honestly as a human that struggles with becoming a Pharisee, I've resisted preaching 1st John. Because um, as that person who struggles with becoming a Pharisee and as the one who needs to communicate that to you, I fear very much communicating in a way that isn't gospel-centered. And so I want to be honest with that even approaching the text this morning. I don't want to ever communicate in a way that that doesn't um, say that everything that we are or ever will be uh, is because of Christ. Christ is all and is the only reason that um, we are who we are. And it's only because of what He did and what He does. It's never because of what we do. Jesus said to His disciples in, in John 15, 5, Apart from Me, you can do nothing. We can't do anything. Not one thing that is good, not one thing that is holy, not one thing that is righteous apart from Christ. And that is exactly what John is saying. And yet there are black and white statements in the letter that that can seem as if we have to do certain things or maybe to help us picture it, we have to check certain boxes to get eternal life. Today's text can be one of those texts. And so as we approach it, let's read it remembering that John has from the very first word exalted Christ as our only hope. And so let's stand and follow along as I read 1 John beginning with verse 5 of chapter 1. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, We make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. We pray that you'd help us in this time as we look to it, Lord, that our eyes would be open to Christ, who he is, and all that he's accomplished, and all that we gain in him. We pray in his name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Well, verse 5, this is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. This is the main thing that we're going to look at today from this verse and this point that 
that John is making flows everything else that we're looking at. In the first four verses of 1 John, John has said, this is who we proclaim. The Christ, the holy God who came in the flesh. We saw him, we, we touched him, we heard him. We know him and we proclaim him to you, Christ. We want you to know him and we want you to have fellowship with Christ. And now in verse 5, he says, And this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. So this is who we proclaim, and now this is what we proclaim. And what John says here is significant. He's laid this foundation of trust as an eyewitness to Jesus, one who desires all to know Christ and the hope that is found in him. And as, as this trustworthy witness, he says, Here's the message. And two things we're going to see in this letter of 1 John from here moving forward, two things that John emphasizes in the letter through the remainder of the letter. The first is that God is light, and the second is that God is love. It begins with this message here in verse 5. God is light. We have this gospel John is saying, this good news message that the world needs to hear. And a part of that message, a resounding theme of that message is this, God is light. The truth that God is light highlights the contrast between who God is and who I am, who we are. And so I want to I summarize really our text today and what we're going to be talking about today the message with two statements concerning the fact that God is light. The first is, God is everything that we are not. And secondly, God is everything that we need. The fact that God is light tells us that he is everything that we are not, but he is also everything that we need. And that really is the important theme throughout the text. John makes some statements that make it, at least I'm tempted to read them this way, as if we can do or be certain things that we simply cannot be on our own. The gospel is good news to those who understand who they are and who God is. And John's words don't contradict that. And so what does it mean when he says that God is light and that we are not? There are a number of verses in the Scriptures that speak of God as being light or reference Him as light. Psalm 27, verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 36, verse 9, For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. John 1, 9, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Later, John 8, 12, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
John 12, 46, I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. God, who is light and gives life, has come to us as the light of the world in his son, Jesus Christ. He is light. In fact, Isaiah 9, 2, speaking of the Christ who would come, says the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. And John here says it very clearly and succinctly. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. There's not one of us who can compare ourselves in any way to that. No darkness at all. Now, what does that mean? That God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. It's referring to moral perfection. There's not one blemish, there's not one stain, the Bible is telling us, on the character of God. He is absolute perfection. He's absolute holiness and absolute purity. There is no darkness in him at all. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13 says this, you, are of, you who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. He's completely holy and pure. He is light. Numbers 23 verse 19 and Titus 1-2 and Hebrews 6-18 all say that it is impossible for God to lie. He is light, and in him is no darkness at all. James 1.13 says he cannot be tempted by evil. He is pure and holy. John says he is light. He is other than us. That's the literal meaning of holy. God is set apart from us. He's other than us in every single way. When the angels are crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is filled with his glory. That's what they're saying. He's completely other than us, other than the angels, other than us who have fallen and are sinful. And this is incredibly important for us to make this distinction. We are not holy in the sense that God is. We are not light God alone is light. And Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 6, he dwells in unapproachable light. We cannot even come close to him. And so we need to distinguish that before we get into these next verses. That's what John does in the beginning of the letter and what we ought to do as well. Because as we get into these verses, we need to be careful, as Kent Hughes writes. He writes this, For us as Christians, sin does indeed break our fellowship with God. Be very careful here. When a Christian sins, our sonship, the fact that we are in the family of God, is not changed. God does not take his sinning children out of his family when they sin any more than you disown your children when they disobey. Sin doesn't break our sonship. It breaks our fellowship. 
God alone is holy. God alone is light, and he is gracious. He is everything that we are not, and he is everything that we need. And we see that in these next verses. Verses 6 and 7. As we get into verses 6 through 10, John makes some rhetorical uh, if we say statements. And the first one is in verses 6 and 7. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have fellowship with God and walk in the darkness, we lie. We don't practice the truth. That word walk is a present tense word and so it refers to this continuous Uh, consistent pattern over our lives. And the contrast to this warning is, of course, verse 7, where he says, "If if we do walk in the light, and in the realm of light, as, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. Now, you may read that and be tempted to say, whoa, Is John saying here, if I sin, or if I continue to sin after I come to Christ, that I, one, don't have fellowship with God, and two, the blood of Jesus, his son, doesn't cleanse me from all sin. I haven't been cleansed from sin. Is that what what John is saying here? Well, John helps us as we move forward in this, but... We'll get to that, but hold on, and let me read this from Martin Luther concerning this text. He writes this, It is strange that although we preach about the blood and the suffering of Christ every year, yet we see so many sects bursting forth. Oh, the great darkness of the past. But if we cling to the word that has been made known, we have this treasure, which is the blood of Christ. If we are beset by sins, no harm is done. The blood of Christ was not shed for the devil or the angels. It was shed for sinners. Accordingly, when I feel sin, why should I despair and why should I not believe that that it has been forgiven? For the blood of Christ washes sins away. The main thing is that we cling to the word, then there is no trouble. And we know that the Word is Christ. What joyful hope we have in Christ. And we're going to get much more into that next week as we look at the text that comes after this. But let's remember what we talked about the last couple of weeks, that Jesus is God in the flesh. He came and lived the life we could never live and became for us the sacrifice we could never become. He did what we could never, ever, ever, ever do. And the practice now for us as believers is what we refer to as sanctification. This ongoing process of becoming in practice what we already fully are in Christ in position. And that's Not at all anything that John is contradicting here. 
Paul says in his letters to put off the old and to put on to the new, to make a practice of this, to become in practice what you already are in position. Our position in Christ, thanks all to Him, is holiness. And yet we wrestle with the flesh daily. The Apostle Paul writes this in Romans 7, I don't understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. If I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. Maybe we feel that even as we get through that part of the text. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Listen, now some of you may come from a perspective that says, I don't think that Paul means that for right when he's writing. I think he's talking about his old life. I don't think that's possible because he cannot say both on one hand that this is my struggle and by the way, I delight in the law of God. He's not referring to his pre-salvation state when he says, I delight in the law of God. It is, it is a help and a hope for us to remember we all struggle, but thanks be to God. And if it were not for Christ who delivers us from this body, we would have no hope of putting to death what is fleshly in us. We'd have no hope of putting off the old. It is not in us. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But in Christ, we are free. I don't know about you. I don't know how you feel each and every time you read that Romans 7 text, but I feel that. Thanks be to God for Christ. God is light. One uh, one writer of a commentary said this about the text, we limp in the light. We limp along in the light, but God is light. John moves then to the next rhetorical question, which is verses 8 and 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, I don't know about you, but this one I don't resonate with because I don't think or feel that way that I would say I don't have any sin. But there are some, certainly, we're going to see this later in the letter in John, certainly that John is dealing with, but today also who may say, not me. I have no sin. 
I have no need of a Savior because I have nothing to be saved from. A claim to sinlessness is self-deception. That's certainly what John is saying here. We have no grounds to claim innocence before God. None. Kent Hughes writes this, as soon as we're old enough to make a choice, we choose sin. You cannot stop yourself from sinning. You have a nature to sin. In one sense, you are not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. You inherited your sin nature from your parents. Ultimately, our sin nature goes back to the fall of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. And you might hear that and say, whoa, Kent, that, that's a bit of an overstatement. You can't stop yourself from sinning? Kent, that's, that's tough. And I would say he's absolutely right. Because even if, even if I stop myself in one sense, let's say, let's say I'm about to steal a candy bar from a store and I stop myself. I don't do it. I'm so tainted by sin that I still sin in my heart, either through pride or some other self-exalting thought. That's all he's saying there. We're so tainted by the flesh that none of us can say we have no sin. We dare not claim that we are without sin, John is saying. Now, as we will see next week, our hope remains in the fact that our sins are covered by the blood of Christ. And John highlights the absolute hope that we have in Christ here because of what he has accomplished in verse 9. And we know this verse. Many of us have this verse memorized. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you confess, he forgives. And why does he forgive? Because he's faithful and just. Now, if we're careful readers, we may stop at that point. And be shocked by the fact that John would say he forgives because he's just. And we might feel in us, wait, isn't that the part we don't want when we're in sin? That means he punishes, right? But when we think that, we've forgotten the truth of the gospel. Yes, he he punishes, but the punishment, the condemnation for those who are in Christ was taken by Christ. It's the glorious truth of the gospel. God is faithful to his promises. Faithful to his promises concerning his willingness to forgive sin and just when he forgives because Christ, Christ's death has atoned for sin and made forgiveness possible. God can be just when he forgives confessed sin because of Christ. He is righteous and just to do it because he's already punished sin when it was placed on Jesus at the cross. John says he purifies us from all unrighteousness. Every single stain 
cleansed. Our temptation is to run from God when we think of him being just, but we are short in memory when we do that. Because of Christ, we run to him. The last rhetorical statement he makes is in verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. His word is not in us. God says we are sinners. And God says we need a Savior. God says that. And if we say otherwise, it's not just that we are lying. We are saying that he is lying. Many have come and made statements about God and about Jesus to that end. Statements applauding Jesus' life and the good that he did as an example to us, something that we ought to follow, and yet condemning teaching that says we needed him to die for us because we are wretched. These statements that are made are statements about God, not about us. They're about God. Because God says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No Christian should expect sinless perfection in this life. We ought to understand and know we are sinful people in need of a glorious Savior. And if at any point someone claims that they have achieved sinless perfection, they are wrong. John is saying God is light. God is everything that we are not, and God is everything that we need. I love Psalm 103, verses 10 through 14. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our injustices. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him for He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Holiness and righteousness and purity are credited to our account. They are a gift, not a wage. They come through grace. We believe God is light and that he is good and that we are not and that he accomplishes everything for us and we give ourselves to him. And we gain our identity from him. He is holy. He is light. And he makes us, Paul says, he makes us holy and blameless before him and enables us then to walk in a path of sanctification toward him. He's gracious and merciful to forgive. Next week, we're going to discuss this more deeply as we get into that that big and beautiful word propitiation. The work accomplished by Christ to bring us this precious promise of forgiveness. He died for us. 
how we can be sinners who are holy and blameless before God who is light. As we prepare to take communion together, let's remember this great gift that we have. His body was broken in our place. He died in our place on our behalf. His blood was shed so that we could have forgiveness of sins. Paul says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We thank you. And we acknowledge, just as John does, you are light. God, you are light and you dwell in unapproachable light. And we confess that we are not. And we are desperate, desperate for Christ. And what you accomplished through his work on the cross, through his life, and through the resurrection. We pray that you help us to understand and to embrace it. In Christ's name, amen.